God, I love it. <laughs> I'm privileged to call Mitch a friend and uh, been through ups and downs with him and he with me. <laughs> but God is good. He is uh, renaming uh, his kids these days. He's calling them by who they really are. And uh, some of us are really getting it. And it's transformational. Um, by the way, Mitch will be uh, co-sharing uh, with Jim Glasgow uh, at our men's breakfast on March 8th at 7.30 in the morning. So those of you who are early risers and want to uh, hear just a little bit more of, uh, of who Mitch is and what the Lord's been doing in his life, um, you're um, invited to be a part of that breakfast March 8th. Oh, well... You know, I saw, I had not intended to share this, nor did I at the first service, uh, but we, Cynthia and I went to the theater last night, the movie, the, the moving picture show. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we don't go a lot. <laughs> and uh, saw Charlotte and Davey there, and we had, had a great time. We saw this movie called Monuments Men, and I'm not a promoter of any particular movie, but as I was just worshiping, you know, the Lord just began to show me that, you know, in the midst of World War II, uh, there was a group of uh, primarily six or seven white-collar, well-educated art professionals uh, who were conscripted uh, by the United States uh, to go into uh, Europe and uh, actually their mission was to search for and recover stolen art and art artifacts, the Picassos and you know, Rembrandts and the paintings and um, statuary of different uh, types. And um, it's kind of interesting to me that what I recognized sort of as I was worshiping here is that their task was to find the treasure in the midst of a war zone. And uh, the Lord began to show me that's really our calling uh, as people of the church. Uh, we're recovering uh, stolen treasures that have been stolen by the enemy. This was obviously the Third Reich and Hitler's regime, and they were pillaging and taking all of the art and storing it in different places. And if you've seen the movie, you understand. I won't tell the whole movie and give it away. Uh, but the treasures that were recovered by this group of six or seven hand-picked uh, men on foreign soil was enormous. And um, somewhat like that, by analogy, the church has very much been commissioned uh, through the ministry of the presence of God and the prophetic then release of giftings through the presence of God uh, to recover uh, stolen property, stolen treasure um, in your life and in mine. And uh, it, it's exciting to see God doing that in these days, and that's what I've called sort of this royal shift, you know, shifting from, um, as Mitch said in his testimony of not knowing who we are to beginning to recognize, not just intellectually, but at a profound, deep heart level that that we are loved, <laughs> that we are valued, and that we are significant. And um, 
someone asked me last week, how long will you preach on this theme? And I said, I don't know. Maybe until I get it. <laughs> but, but until we uh, get it, because it is so foundationally important for our understanding of who God is and who we are and uh, what our ministry in the world is all about. Uh, so that's sort of what I want to share here in, in closing. Before I do, could I just share a word? Um, uh, had a couple of people. The Lord actually awakened me this morning and with a couple of names, and it was Jeannie and Don Wilkins. And I don't know why, because I don't have any real, you know, um, I mean, I'm friendly with them and they with me, you know, but we don't have any real social connection that we've made time for. But the Lord awakened me and said, I want you to speak over their life. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, Jeannie and Don, would you just kind of stand up back there? And I just want to. Um, what the Lord showed me this morning early on, and this came out of nowhere, trust me, is that there was seated around you a whole bunch of young people, another generation, and you were pouring into their lives. And um, I don't know if you were sitting around the table or, or if there were multiple tables, but it was clear that you were in a discipling mode of, of giving yourself away uh, to a younger generation. And um, the scripture that the Lord sort of quickened to me related to that theme that I saw uh, was in 2 Corinthians 5 where it, it, you know, it goes down and it says 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And then it talks about um, uh, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, God making himself known through us, imploring or pleading men to come to him. And then it says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I, what I sense the Lord, but does this make any sense to you guys at all? <laughs> well, what the Lord was saying is that you're ambassadors and reconcilers because the God of the universe is living within you. And he's about to launch you into a ministry by which many in another generation under you will be released into their full uh, sort of understanding of their sonship and their daughtership, their identity in, in Jesus, if you will. So um, may the Lord bless that to you. Let's get around them and pray. Bobby, if you would, and some others, uh, just come around them. And let's pray that, you know, the prophetic ministry is so strange. Sometimes we understand it, and most of the time we don't. Uh, but, God, we give to you our hearts today, and uh, thank you for uh, Jeannie and, and Don. And, Lord, you know the days in which they live, and you know what is already in their hearts, uh, as I don't, uh, but you do. And, Lord, would you quicken what is uh, in them, and would you draw out of them the ministry to which you're calling them. And, Lord, let them begin to see the fruit of uh, pouring their lives into yet another generation. Um, I see young adults and young married folks and and people from all sorts of backgrounds uh, coming into the kingdom because you've been just yourselves and been faithful. So bless them and encourage them today in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for allowing me to embarrass you. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk here for just a, a moment if we can, and I want to look at a couple of scriptures with you. Uh, but this notion of um, that we have been called to to be the representative of Christ on the earth. That's really what we're talking about. And I want to start with a, a scripture that we've read a number of times from 1 Peter chapter 2. And you know the text more than likely. Uh, verse 9 says, uh, But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. 
God's own special people that you may proclaim. You might want to note that word there, proclaim. There's a place when we come to understand that we are chosen and that we are royal and that we are in a priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that, that there's a place where we begin to proclaim, not just with words but our action and who we are, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, for once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Formerly you had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Uh, so, Lord, we just ask you to open your word to us, uh, speak to us by your spirit, and enable us to um, integrate it into our lives for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the things the Lord was um, showing to, to me is that in this shift or in this revolution that God's doing around the earth, uh, and this uh, movement from becoming old uh, or seeing ourselves old, uh, as I shared last week, to actually beginning to see and believe that we are new uh, is that God is releasing something within us. And what he is releasing within us is his presence. Um, there's an author uh, who said the Holy Spirit is actually captive in the hearts of unbelieving believers hmm. the Holy Spirit is captive within the hearts of unbelieving believers and you can be a believer and as you are a believer the Holy Spirit because of the redemptive work of Christ comes and lives his life in us we all know that like the Geico whatever that is, commercial, Geico, commercial. Well, everybody knows that. You say 15%, you know what I'm saying? Um, everybody knows that. But what we don't often realize is that when the Spirit of God moves in and lives within our lives, we now have uh, the potential to either release Him to the world or to not. Selah. That means, think about that for a minute. Because the Holy Spirit comes into our life and now He entrusts us, His people, to be... Uh, well, a friend of mine gave me a book. The name of it was All In. He entrusts us that we would be all in. And, and I sort of... I take from that what communicates to me is that it's like a poker game you got all these chips in front of you. You've all seen the pictures or played the game yourself, whichever. And there's a point in time when you, when you have to put it all in the middle. Your big stack of everything. You're all in. Now, if we're all in, then we are fully trusting the one who called us and he is enabled then to move through us. But if we reserve a few stacks of the big chips for ourselves and put in most of what we have, we're not all in. That's the analogy. And in these days in which we're living uh, on the earth, God is asking for his people to be all in so that he can then use us in whatever way that he chooses to do. So, uh, and if we don't, then uh, the Holy Spirit can, in that sense, be held captive in us uh, 
by our own choices. And the Scripture in 1 Thessalonians calls that quenching the Spirit. He wants to come out and I'm chicken or I'm fearful or what would, you know, what would people think of me? See, that's reserving some chips. And God says, no, uh, when you have come to me as Lord, I own all of you and what I want to do now is to get out. And that would be called the release of the Spirit or releasing Him to have 100% of me all of the time. That scares some of you to death. I know that because it scares me to death. And yet that's the place that God is calling us to. Now, uh, when you know that you are valued and significant as a son or a daughter of God, you are able then to begin to realize that the ministry isn't about you primarily. It is certainly the blessings of God in your life, but it's always about who God is and who other people are. Uh, which is to say, when we value ourselves or see ourselves as significant, we will begin to take up the task of helping other people realize their significance. The prophetic ministry, if I could use that, um, the characteristic, therefore, of a, a princely people. You're a chosen uh, a generation, a royal priesthood. You see, Jesus was a king, and Jesus was a priest, and Jesus was a prophet, all three at the very same time. And uh, this notion of being a prophetic or princely people is that we begin to discover that God wants to use us to release other people to walk in their fullness. That is the ministry, by the way, of reconciliation. Helping people come out of darkness into the light by us proclaiming uh, who they are, by seeing the treasure that's buried in them and calling it forth. Because until that happens, either by a father or many spiritual fathers or peers around us, until that happens, we walk in the notion that we're never going to measure up. And by the way, we never do. It's not about our measuring up. It's about Jesus now who says, as he did to Mitch, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And when that revelation, either spoken prophetically from another person into your heart or from the, or the God of the universe by revelation, when that begins to come into your heart, it begins to set you free. So the prophetic ministry then is that which speaks forth and draws out. Proverbs 20 uh, verse 5 says this. You can turn there if you like. I won't. Uh, but it says, Proverbs 25, 20, verse 5 says, uh, A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water. And every one of you have it. A plan set in your heart as deep water, but it says the man of understanding draws it out. That's what God's called us to, to be men and women who draw out of the plans of God in the hearts of men and women and bringing them into the ministry that he's called us to. Therefore, what we're talking about is prophetic ministry. When you know who you are, when you understand your significance, we begin to move in the prophetic ministry. What's prophetic ministry? Uh, prophetic simply means to speak forth the counsel of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know anything about the counsel of God? It's not a trick question, nor do you need to answer it. It's a rhetorical question. But what do you know about the counsel and will of God? 
You might think about the coming of Jesus. Why did he come? What did he do? What did he accomplish? You know something about the counsel and the will of God. What do you know about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in your life and in the lives of other people? You know something about the will and the counsel of God. You see, what is God after in these days in his people? You know something about the will and the purposes of God. Therefore, prophetic ministry is simply um, um, a, often a revelation to the other person, a speaking into the life of another person and releasing them to embrace their true identity. Prophetic words are often a revelation of a person's true identity. We need to develop in the church a culture, um, cultivate a culture, a prophetic culture, um, in order to draw out of people that which is already hidden in their hearts. Now, um, we, we uh, learn to treat people not as we see them, but as God created them. And that's really significant when we talk about proclaiming and speaking into the life of another person. Um, I won't get into it just right here, but there is in the church, uh, by and large, a mixture of two covenants. And I sort of went into that last week where there was an old covenant which was the precursor to the new, but it's very different. That's why it's called new. And we have a great high priest who has already gone through the heavens on our behalf, and he makes everything new. But there is a mixture in terms of prophetic ministry that some people uh, who have a gifting to speak prophetically have a lot of Old Testament mixture about what it should look like. And what it looked like in the Old Testament, quite honestly, was often harsh and critical and judgmental, and it, it, it cut people and laid them open with their sin. And that is not the picture of the prophetic ministry you get in the New Testament. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 was sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 on the gifts or the love language of the Spirit. You see, we can be dead right and be dead wrong. You see, we can be right about a person, but any time we embarrass them and pull their stuff into the light, that's the role of the Spirit of God to do that. We are people who are looking, we have been sent into enemy lines to keep with the movie sort of theme of, of uh, the monuments men. We've been sent behind enemy lines, as it were, in order to search for the gems and the treasures buried in the hearts of every person around you. And when you begin to speak and encourage and draw that out, uh, people get really uh, set free. Now, let me look real quickly with you. Turn in your Old Testament in the, in the old part of the Scriptures and look at 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10. A little um, Old Testament illustration of uh, this is the prophet Samuel who was sent to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. And I'm just going to read some of it real quickly and then uh, make a few comments about it. Beginning at verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 9. And it says this. Uh, there was a man of Benjamin. Keep that name. Uh, his name was Kish. And if you go down to verse 2, um, he had a son by the name of Saul. So Saul had a daddy named Kish, and they were from the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, it says, verse 2, that... Uh, Saul was choice and handsome, a choice and handsome son 
whose name was Saul, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than all of the other people. I take, just take that to, to mean in the physical, he was a specimen. He was, he was, a, he was, a, he was a looker. He was a, he had, you know, he was tall and he was maybe dark and probably handsome. And uh, the scripture then goes on and it says that the circumstances of Kish, his dad, uh, who was, he was a powerful man, probably fairly wealthy, he had a lot of donkeys and the donkeys got out of the corral and went lost. I mean, that's, I'm summarizing. So all these, these donkeys got out and they were lost. So Kish, the daddy of Saul, said, Saul, take another person with you and go out and begin to look uh, for the donkeys that are lost. And for three days, if the first few verses here, um, of, uh, up to about six, they looked and they looked for three days. And finally he said, you know what, we better go back home because dad's going to forget about the lost donkeys. He's going to be worried about us. So we better go home. So on the way, it dawns on one of them. I'm not sure which. uh, But verse 6 says, you know what? Let's go to a certain city on the way here. And there's a man of God, verse 6. He's an honorable man. And all that he says surely comes to pass. So let's go there and perhaps he can show us uh, the way we should go. In other words, where the donkeys are. Uh, So in fact, they did that. They said, okay, what are we going to pay the guy? Verse 8. And they said, well, we got a quarter of a shekel of silver. Uh, and we'll, we're going we're to take a little gift to the man of God, and we're going to pay him, and uh, we'll see what he has to say. Verse, verse 8. So they did that, and uh, they began to ask around, how do we find the prophet or the seer? Verse 9. And they said, he lives in such and such a city, and okay, that's awesome. Uh, so they went over to that city, and then they asked, where is Samuel, the seer, the prophet? Now we're at verse uh, 15. And it says, Now the Lord had already spoken or told Samuel, that's the prophet, uh, in his ear the day before Saul came. So Samuel had already gotten prophetic information about this guy named Saul who's going to look him up to find his lost donkeys. And verse 16 says, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and and you shall... Anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Now, verse 17, when Samuel, this is a tongue twister, Saul, Saul, when he beheld Saul, verse 17, the Lord said to him, there he is. The man of whom I spoke, this is the one who shall reign over my people. Now, verse 19 says this. Samuel uh, answered, uh, uh, Saul said, where's the seer? In verse 19, Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place and you shall eat with me tomorrow. And tomorrow I will let you go and I will tell you all that is in your heart. Now, what I just read. Go to the high place, we're going to eat together, and tomorrow I'm going to tell you all that is in your heart. Now, why is that significant? It's like deep water. You see, the calling of God is like a deep river in the heart of every man, and so it was in the heart of Saul. And so the prophet Samuel says, I'm just going to tell you what's already in your heart, what's already inside of you. Verse 20, uh, but as for your donkeys that were lost, uh, don't worry about them. And on whom is all of the desire of Israel? Is it not on you, Saul, and on your father's house? 
So Samuel begins to speak into Saul's life about who he is, and Saul's response, verse 21, Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite? And, um, and of the smallest tribe of Israel. And, and my family, the least of the families in Benjamin. Uh, in other words, I'm a nobody. It's the same thing Moses said. And this is what we do. You see, God comes to us and he begins to speak to us who we are. And like Moses, we say, who am I? That God would use me to deliver the people of Israel. Uh, Samuel said to Saul, uh, you, you know, you're, you're a man that God's, God's on you and God's going to anoint you to be king over Israel. And he said, I'm of the smallest tribe of Israel. Oh, and by the way, we're of the smallest family of the smallest tribe of Israel. Who am I? You see, and that's what we do all the time. When God comes to us and begins to speak by His Spirit the revelation of God into our heart, that is our response until we begin to believe uh, God. Am I not a Benjamin of the smallest, Benjamin of the smallest tribe, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Now we're going to skip down uh, to uh, verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. And we're going to wind up this story, and I'm going to make a few observations about it. Verse 1 uh, says this, Then Samuel took the flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And when you have departed from here, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of uh, Zilzah, and uh, they will say to you, the donkeys which you've been looking for are found. And um, now your father has ceased to be worried about the donkeys. He's now worried about you. If we skip over to about uh, verse 3, he gives him a sign, and he says, okay, there's going to be three men going up uh, to God at Bethel who will meet you, and, and one of them will be carrying three young goats. And another one's going to be carrying three loaves of bread, and one of them is going to be carrying a skin of wine. So we got goats, wine, and bread. And they will greet you and give you two of the loaves of bread, uh, which you sh shall receive from their hand. Now, after that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets. Now watch this a group of prophets coming down from the high places, and these are going to be a strange group of folk. They're, they're going to have stringed instruments, they're going to have tambourines, they're going to have flutes and harps before them, and they will be prophesying. They will be speaking forth the Word of God, the counsel of God. Verse 6 says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And, uh, and let these, then he gives them some, some signs there. What I want you to see here uh, is that Samuel was, first of all, anointed king by the, the word of the prophet. And secondly, Saul's calling, Saul's calling was hidden under a whole bunch, a mire of low self-esteem, wrong perceptions about who he was. I'm the smallest, smallest tribe, smallest family, insignificant. I, I can't be this person. And the prophet says, oh, yes, you are. You can run, but you can't hide. You see, God has a calling on his life and brings it uh, to pass. So Saul's uh, calling was hidden. 
below a whole bunch of muck. Does that, does that communicate? A whole bunch of, of I'm insignificant, Mitch. <laughs> you, you know, de, de, I can't. Uh, who am I? I'm the smallest. I'm the I'm the I'm a worm. I'm the you know. I gee whiz. Oh shucks. I I can't do that. And yet God calls forth uh, from Samuel um, that no, you are and will be the king. You will be a, a royal within my house. You will be the king of Israel. And uh, now notice this prophetic calling and this encounter didn't change him into a different person. It changed him into another person that he already was in his heart. Do you all see that? You see, the prophetic ministry didn't make him into, now I'm, you know, whatever. Now my ears are small, but now they're big. Or I didn't have hair, but now I do. It wasn't that kind of change. It was that the prophetic word, when it was released into his heart changed him to understand for the first time who he already was. Remember when it says, I'll tell you what's in your heart. You see, that's the ministry that God's releasing upon the earth right now by which the sons and daughters are beginning to believe God for the very first time. God will have a church that's without spot and wrinkle. That means you're going to see yourself as you really are. God, by the Spirit, is giving revelation even to the likes of me. That means when the wind blows, all the turkeys fly. When the water comes in, all the boats are going to float. You might say, oh man, that's not, that's not for me. Oh yes it is, because the glory of God is going to cover the earth as righteousness covers the deep. And when that comes in, brothers and sisters, you're going to see yourself for who you really are, not by what you think about yourself. I'm the smallest, I'm the dumbest, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the. No, you're going to see yourself as God sees you. And God's releasing that into your life right now. Now, let me end with one final point, Roman numeral three. The first one was when you know you're valued and you're significant, you begin to make the ministry of other people and releasing them significant. Roman numeral two is that the anointing of Saul illustrates that he didn't have a clue, but when God spoke it through the prophet, he began to walk in, have the grace to understand, and then walk in who he already knew he was, even though it was buried under low self-esteem and valueless uh, self-talk. Roman numeral three, the church has been commissioned, the people of God have been commissioned to call out of darkness and out of lostness and out of deadness the people around us. Now, parentheses. You're never going to call people out of darkness by using an Old Testament model. By being critical. By being judgmental. By being controlling and manipulating. By embarrassing people and, 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 cover, and uncovering them. The ministry, the prophetic ministry in the New Testament is a ministry of love. You see, that's why love is so important in 1 John and in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love of God that calls us out and we become a new person when we understand who we are. It's time for the church, therefore, to awaken out of its slumber and awaken to the times in which we live and to awaken by the Spirit and understand who we are. we got a ministry to do and we got a task to do. And Jesus will return one of these days, but not until every nation has heard 
And there are people right around you today in your neighborhood who've not yet heard. And guess what? They're not going to be interested in hearing if you're living out an Old Testament model. But you start speaking about the treasure that's in their heart that God's already placed there and calling that thing forth, and you're going to see people responding like when the glory of God begins to fall upon the earth, you're going to see people by the B, billions, coming to Jesus. I'm telling you, by the Spirit of God, many of you, I trust I will, will be alive to see that. Because it's about on us. Now, that doesn't mean everything's going to be rosy. That's a whole other uh, subject. Now, developing then a princely or a priestly or a prophetic culture is to see people the way God sees them. What if somebody's gay? And I'm not. Now, I got other stuff, but that isn't one of them. But what if I use an Old Testament model to rip and beat? They already know who they're not. You understand what I'm saying? They're looking for somebody to tell them who they are, that God loves them, that they have a father. They'll drop their sin the same way you did when you came to Jesus. They'll, they'll let it go when they begin to believe who they are in Jesus. You know, that's God's business. He catches his fish and then he cleans them. But some of us live our lives as if, man, I got my scaling knife right on me, man. You come over, I got something to share with you. We start ripping the scales off of people. Woo! They're flopping around on the floor. Now, I'm being funny and kind of facetious, but that's what the church has done. And guess what? Nobody's interested. Brothers and sisters, you start telling them about the love of God. Oh, he knows your sin. Don't worry about that. Oh, yeah, he'll take care of that. But you start telling them about the love of God, and all of a sudden you're going to see people responding to the message. That's the message of being one who is a reconciler. Because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he's given to us the ministry, the very same ministry of reconciliation. Let me land this plane here. People will then begin to change back into the people that they were originally destined to be. See, we the church are called in this hour to be Samuels and Sauls, kings and priests to our generation. Sometimes all it takes is a, is a proclaiming, uh, speaking forth a prophetic gift to people that they begin to recognize who they are already, who they already are, and God then gives them the grace to begin to change. Now, I'm going to end with this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 say this. As, one has, as each one has received a gift. Now, if you're in the church and you belong to Jesus and Jesus has come to live in your life, that means Holy Spirit's in there. You might not be letting him out, you see, but he's in there. Now, what this scripture says is if you've received, each one of us have received a gift, use it to minister to, to other people as good stewards of the manifold or multifaceted grace of God. And if anybody speaks or proclaims, let them speak as, it, as if it were the oracles of God. Do you hear what Peter's saying? This was Peter the liar, by the way. I don't know him. You know, when he 
said, I don't know Jesus. This was Peter, the one, you know, he was, he, was, he was a wild man. And as the Spirit began to get a hold of him, he began to recognize who he always was, that he was a lion and, and, and he was connected to a lamb. And he began to say, now you've got something to say. And when you speak, speak as if it is the very words of God to the people that you meet around you. So the Holy Spirit showed up and said, okay, Peter, get up and tell these folk. 3,000 people came to Jesus. You want to be used like that? I do. How's it going to happen? Well, it's this little thing called risk. Holy Spirit's in me, and he wants to get out. He wants to be released. You hold the trigger, if that's a, you know, an, an analogy. You hold the switch. Maybe that's better. I'm a trigger guy. You know what I say? Uh, there's a sw- you hold the switch, and you can either let him out or keep him in. Now, Pastor Jim and I conferred after the first service. He said, you know what? We need to give folk homework. That sounds like Pastor Jim. I'm far more ethereal. <laughs> we need to give people homework. Here's your homework. Encourage someone today, tomorrow, or this next week. Now, what is prophecy? 1 Corinthians 14.3. To encourage or to build up or to give comfort. You are already seers. You are already... Shake your head just because, you know, I need some... You know, you are already prophetic. The Spirit of God is already on you if you will trust Him to step into something new. Now, new for you, how do you get this stuff that I spoke with Jeannie and Don? I don't know. Ask Jesus. That's a novel idea. (laughs) Ask Him when you work with somebody and that person's over there and you see something on them and they're looking like they're having a, I don't know, bad day or something. Ask Jesus what he would want to speak to them. And just take a couple of minutes. And then don't try to sort it all out and figure it out by your mind. Walk over them there and just say, you know what, I just feel like I just want to encourage you today because this is what I see. So you're going past the, oh, you're dejected or you feel down or you feel, you know... (laughs) You're looking through that stuff and you're, you're going into the deep places of their heart and you're calling forth something that they may never see unless you step into it and take a risk. You're affirming them. Now, God really likes you. That would be revelation to people. He does? Everybody's told me all my life that he hates me. He's out to get me. See, that's Old Testament. The New Testament is that he came with Jesus to get me out. See how different that is? God's going to get me. (laughs) No, Jesus came to get me out. Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So your homework is to find someone in prayer, not labor. God, show me somebody this week. Might be your husband. Novel idea. Might be your wife. Maybe a young child. Maybe your neighbor. Might be somebody you work with at work. Say, God, what do you want me to speak to them? Now, having prayed that prayer, you've got to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you to, to allow you out. Holy Spirit, captive in the hearts of unbelieving believers. I'm choosing to be a believing believer. And I'm asking you to speak, even through me, a word of encouragement. That's all i got.
Let's pray. Dean, come on up if you are. Let's uh, just worship here for a moment. Um, Father, as we, we, we've made many jokes today and you know, about the treasure hidden, and, and yet that is so true. There's treasure in each one of us. And Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us understand uh, who you have already made us to be. Lord, bless your people today and encourage them. Lord, let there not be one word of condemnation or accusation or slander that any of them would agree with. But God, let them begin to agree with what you have already said is true about them. That you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Father, bless and encourage each one today as we walk out and as we obey what you would speak to us. Any on the ministry team or our elders or their spouses, if you'd like to come. And we're just going to be up here if you want somebody to pray with you, encourage you. If you're in a place where you're kind of at that, uh, you know, do I really want to do this? Have somebody pray for you. You know, there is a such thing as spiritual warfare, by the way. And the enemy would love to keep you thinking this isn't for you. It's for everybody else. This is for the, pre- the preacher. He's the one who's supposed to do this stuff. Everybody shake your head and go, nope. You are the church. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your people. Bless them today. And God, uh, if you're here today and have never given your life to Jesus, meaning you've never surrendered your life fully to Him, this would be an awesome day to do that. This is the day the Lord has made. And we can rejoice and be glad in Him. If you need special prayer for anything that's in your life, or if you sense God wants you to pray for some around you, be attentive to that by the Spirit today. And all of God's people said together, Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful day. If you'd like to linger and pray, feel free to do that. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope. Our righteousness, Jesus, only Jesus. Who can make the blind to see? Who holds the keys that set us free? He paid it all to bring us peace. Only Jesus Holy King Almighty Lord Saints and angels All adore I'll join with them And bow before Jesus Holy Jesus who can command the highest praise? Who has a name above all names? You stand alone and I stand amazed. Jesus, only Jesus. Yeah. And holy King Almighty, Lord, saints and 
Angels all adore, I join with them and bow before Jesus, holy Jesus, and holy King, almighty Lord, saints and angels all adore, I join with them and bow before Jesus, holy Jesus, you will command the highest praise, yours is the name above all names, you stand alone, I stand amazed, Jesus, holy Jesus. Jesus, holy Jesus, yeah, yeah. You will command the highest praise. Yours is the name above all names. You stand alone, I stand amazed. Jesus, holy Jesus. Jesus, holy Jesus, holy King, almighty Lord, saints and angels all adore, I'll join with them and bow before Jesus, holy Jesus. 